Today, I want to talk about thinking bigger and thinking better. It was in the mid-1990s that the Chick-fil-A restaurant uh, company was on their steady track of growth. It was a slow and steady, systematic plan and path of growth. But there was a competitor who had come into the scene, and they were coming on strong. And they were opening more and more restaurants. Every opportunity they had, they would open up another restaurant. And so their numbers, the number of restaurants, began to rival the number of Chick-fil-A restaurants. So one or two of the board members of Chick-fil-A decided we need to do something about this. We don't want to lose that market share of people who love chicken. And so they decided, well, maybe we need to start opening more restaurants. And so we spread out uh, the industry of Chick-fil-A. So they devised a, a strategic plan. They worked out on some of the details, and then they came to present it to the board of Chick-fil-A. And in presenting it to the board of Chick-fil-A, they realized that this was an aberration, if you will, of the path that Chick-fil-A had been on. It was a deviation. It was different. And so there was a bit of commotion in the board meeting that day. And their voices began to be raised, emotions also and finally, Truett Cathy, the founder and owner of Chick-fil-A, took his fist and just began to pound the board table for a few seconds to get everyone's attention and everyone quieted and calmed down for a moment. And he made a couple of profound statements. He said, we do not need to get bigger. We need to get better. If we get better, our customers will demand that we get bigger. And it solidified the foundation of Chick-fil-A's growth strategy, that it's not a matter of how many restaurants you have, it is how well they are operated. Well, that's good thought for life. Let's talk about the church as we see in Acts and as we see it today Let's keep in mind thinking bigger and thinking better. If we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the church in one day. 3,000 people. In Acts 4, 4, but many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. That's some pretty rapid growth, isn't it? Acts 5, 14 says, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. When we look at these types of numbers of tremendous growth, we begin to realize that the church does not grow with buildings, the church grows with people. The church is people, believers are the church, and so church growth is people growth. When we think about thousands of people, we've got to Think of them less homogenous and realize that these are intricacies within every person. There are those who are extroverts. There are those people who got saved who are just, yeah, let's go, and they never meet a stranger. They can talk to anyone. But also the church grew with introverts who were quiet and reserved. The church grew with the rich and the poor. The church grew with those who were greatly talented and those who appeared or at least thought that they had no talent. It grew with those who were physically strong and healthy, and it grew with those who were not. It grew with those who could, could run a business with just a glance 
and others who couldn't run a business if they put all their effort into it. It grew with people of all different types, all different ages, every economic status, educational level. People grow, the church growth is people growth. I want to hone in and bore down on Acts chapter number six. If you want to turn there, we also have the verses on the screen as well. Acts chapter six. Let's read Acts chapter six and verse number seven. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. When we look at that verse we think, well, you know, really, what, what happened just before this? What was it that caused the writer to say all of these things? And, and great growth happened. Many priests began to believe. What preceded that? Let's look at verse number 6, 5 and 6. This proposal pleased the whole group. Well, what proposal? This proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Farmanus and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. Well, why? What was going on then? The preceding verse, number three and four. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give you our attention to prayer and the ministry of of the word. But why did this selection take place? You know where I'm going, right? The preceding verse. Okay, verse number two. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God to, in order to wait on tables. So what was the problem that was being solved? Verse number one. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Have you ever gone backwards like that? Sometimes we look at the, at the end and we just think, hey, that's great. But if we, if we trace it back, everything has a cause and effect. Every cause will have an effect. Growth produces some great problems. I want to glean from this portion of scripture and look at some truths that transform our lives. I'm not saying that all problems are solved with this pattern in this method, but certainly in the case of the early church and certainly in the case of Hope Crossings and where we are right now, this is what we're going to look at. Truths that transform not only this section, this time period of the early church, but also Hope Crossings right now. The first truth that transforms is growth solves problems and creates problems. Whenever you solve a problem, you'll probably create a different problem. We're going to come back to that in a few moments. Let's look at that verse number one. There was, there was these things called uh, Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews. What are we talking about there? What, what, what is the division? Well, the Hebraic Jews were those who basically their families had stayed in Jerusalem and they spoke Hebrew, Hebraic Jews. But there were also Hellenistic Jews and those were the Jews that years ago, their families had moved to other countries, such as uh, Greek speaking countries. And of course they had children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. And as we all know, the, the, the Jews that moved away spoke Hebrew. 
But what do the children speak? They speak the native language and Hebrew. What do the grandchildren speak? Only the native language. And then the great-grandchildren. We've seen that in our own time. That's not a revelation. And so here we have people who are Jewish, but they speak Greek and they don't speak Hebrew. But for various reasons, they move back to Jerusalem. So there was these two different groups of Jews, one that speak, spoke Hebrew, one that spoke Greek. And there was, dare I say, a division. And we thought we were the first to invent division. That was for those who were paying attention. <laughs> There's always been division. There's always been difficulty and strife. That's nothing new. The solution, though, is vitally, vitally important. And so we see that solving some problems creates others. By solving the sin problem, we created, there was a created a unity between these Jews, which were probably separated before, but they had to make a decision. Is our language going to keep us apart, or are we going to be unified by what is stronger than our language? We have a saying here at Hope Crossings that what unites us is greater than what divides us. There will always be possibilities of division. There will always be probabilities of decision. And yet we must make the constant choice over and over again, what unites us is stronger than what divides us. God does not want us to all be the same. He doesn't want us to dress the same, look the same, think the same, work the same. He wants us to be different and yet united. Thus, unity in diversity, the body of Christ. Everyone has their part. Everyone is in a part of the body of Christ. Everyone is a part of the family. And we don't want to be homogenous. We don't always want to be the same. But we say what unites us is stronger than what divides us. And that alone will solve many problems. The second truth that transforms is that solving problems quickly is smart. Now, here we read there that these two different groups of Jewish people had a complaint. One had a complaint against the other. And let's not be confused with a complaint that was eruptive. It was not eruptive. It wasn't some major catastrophe. The Bible uses that terminology there, that language, if you go back into the original, which, by the way, the New Testament was written in Greek, but that's just another freebie. If you go back to that word, it talks about a secret displeasure. In other words, it was an undertone. It was a displeasure, and, and we're not going to make a big deal out of it because it's the daily distribution of food. And so it was this displeasure, it was this underlining thing. You know, that's a great time to solve a problem before it erupts. Once it erupts, it becomes difficult. But if we can go to the solution to the problem quickly, that is smart. I'm so glad that the Bible tells us what the 12 did, the 12 apostles did, but, but by knowing what they did, we can also deduct what they didn't do. I'm so glad that what they didn't do is form a committee to investigate the problem. I'm so glad they didn't hire some reporters to go find out how this is impacting your life. How do you feel about this? What's going on? When do you... You see, there are a group of people who aren't really interested in solving problems because they live on problems. 
If there weren't any problems, there wouldn't be any, there wouldn't be 14 news channels running 24 hours a day doing the same thing every hour. The apostles were saying, we're not interested in all of the minute details, let's move toward the solution. But not everyone likes solutions. There are some who realize that I like drama, I, I like disruption, I, I like the upheaval. I don't like peace, I don't like calmness. Can I say this? Christians need to stop worrying about the unhealthy fallout from unhealthy people who are disturbed by healthy solutions. We need to go for the solution and not stir up the problem. But we are all part of that equation. We're all part of the equation of bringing solution and not stirring things up. The third truth we can come up with is solving problems with people is very smart. You see, all problems involve people, but there are some problems that you need people to solve the problem. And that's what the apostles did. They said, we're, we're not interested in figuring out all the details. Let's move toward the solution. And they said, people will solve this problem. We need people. We need people strategically placed. We need people who are given a responsibility and people who are given the the authority to fulfill that responsibility. And so they chose people to be a part of the solution for the people problem. That is very smart. Now, not all problems can be solved in that manner, but this problem most certainly could be. And so then the question we have to come up with is that what part of the solution to life's problems are we to be a part of? How do we engage in helping other people solve their problems? I'm not saying we are the solution. I'm not saying we even can solve all problems. That's not the issue. Sometimes we, we get bogged down because we can't solve the whole problem. Well, we, then we we're not going to try. Well, can you solve a slice of the problem? Can you solve a part? Can you help one? Well, if I can't help everybody, then I don't try. Well, okay, but can you help one? Can you help two? Can you help for a year? Solving problems with people is very smart. And that's what the apostles did. They said, we have a responsibility. We are a part of the body of Christ, but now we've got to engage other people to be a solution to this problem. And they recognized that they needed people to solve the problem with people. Number four, the fourth truth, solving problems mean you will have different problems. <laughs> Fast forward to your 70th birthday party. That's closer to some of us than it is for some of us. Fast forward to your 70th birthday party. I just chose 70 randomly. It's your 70th birthday party. And you have a moment there to just kind of look back on your life. And you're kind of looking back on your teens, your 20s, 30s, 40s on. And, and you're just thinking, oh, yeah, okay, let's, what have I done? What, what have I, I just want to ask a question. I don't know what your answer is going to be. I don't, I don't. I don't pretend to know that. I'm just asking the question. Do you want to look back on your life and say, you know, I just, it just seemed like I just kept solving the same problem. all. I just only had three problems my whole life, and I just had to keep recycling. And I just kept, it's like going around and around. Or would you rather look back at your life and say, you know what, in my 20s I had these issues, and I got, I got a solution to that, and we moved on to my 30s. I had different problems, and... 
And I, I had different problems through my life, and I was able to solve them and, and move on. Would you rather look back at your life and go, it just seemed like I kept doing this? Or would you rather look at your life and say, I was, I was more doing this? When we do this, we're actually not solving problems. We're just tolerating them. We're just putting a Band-Aid on cancer. We're not really solving them. We're called in the body of Christ to solve problems. We're solved to look at this situation and say, I know enough about it, now let's move on to a solution. That works in the family as well, doesn't it? Don't keep recycling problems. Get the problem solved and move on. Go on to the next endeavor, the next challenge. Well, here at Hope Crossings, we have problems. Surprise! Now, this is the time when there's no big announcement, so calm down. We just have problems, and they are good problems. So, you know, some problems are bad and some problems are good. I'm so thankful that Hope Crossings has good problems because we are growing. Um, let me just kind of, you know, this is kind of where it's going to kind of break down into just talking to you for a moment, okay? I, I'm just amazed at the grace and the mercy of God and what he has been doing at Hope Crossings throughout 2020. It has not turned out the way any of us expected, you know, all the surprises and all that stuff. But I'm amazed at what God has done within this body. And, and those of you who are new here, you have no point of reference for some of these comments. Those of you who have been around a little while, I think you have a point of reference that, that I, I, I brag on, on Hope Crossings here, but we're not in competition with other churches and we're not, we're not, we're the body of Christ. We're all together, and we want everybody to grow. We want everybody to move forward. You preach the gospel, let's grow. You're rich, poor, black, white, it doesn't matter. Let's go, let's grow, let's move forward. But as I look at Hope Crossings, and I've talked to other pastors that I know and other church leaders, I, I look at what Hope Crossings is doing right now, just in the last couple of months, and I see that our percentages of attendance are up, our percentages of new and guests and, and potential new uh, members and those who are joining the church in just a couple of weeks is growing where that's not the case in many situations because of what we've been through. It's not, not, a, it's not a slam on anybody's church. It's not a, hey, we're better than anybody. We're not. We're, we're a church like everyone else. But I'm amazed at what God is doing. I'm amazed at the fact that we have good problems, growth problems, to where we need more help. We need more people engaged in the process of solving a problem so that we move on to bigger and better and greater problems, which will all be good. We need, we need help with follow-up on visitors and guests. We need help with follow-up on those who are sick and need some special attention. We need follow-up on, on the maintenance of our property and our building. We need follow-up on, on membership. We need, a lot, we need more people involved. And you guys always rise to the challenge and so I know in, in saying these things, it is, it is great because there's going to be a solution to that, those problems. These are good problems, and we're going to find a solution to it. And you know how we're going to do it? We're going to do deacons. We've been planning this and looking at this for 16 years from the very inception of Hope Crossings. And so starting in the next three weeks, we're looking at saying, if you're a member of adult member of Hope Crossings, you're eligible to be a deacon, and we need deacons to help spread the ministry out so that we can continue to grow. When we look at verse number seven of what we read earlier, you know, after the deacons were selected and after all that happened, it said there was great growth that came. 
And we would make the mistake of saying that, well, if we, if we have deacons in the church, that will cause growth. Absolutely not. The growth was already there, just like it is right here in Hope Crossings. The growth was already happening. Selecting deacons kept the growth happening. And that's what we want to do. We want to continue the growth of Hope Crossings. Part of church growth is doing the right things, and part of church growth is solving the right problems so that it continues to grow. Church growth is about doing the right things and solving things that will keep you from growing. Not having a, a, a broader spectrum of ministries and ministers, deacons, will cause a church to start declining or at least stagnate. That's what we don't want. And so in order to keep growing, we're going to select deacons. So here's the deal, and, and this is just kind of the, the emphasis of where we're heading right now in the next couple of weeks. For the next three weeks, I'm asking you to prayerfully consider two things. Whether you yourself would say, I believe I want to take another step into ministry, into leadership, into growth, and I want to be considered as a deacon. Or you might say, you know what? That's not the position for me. That's not what I want. But I want to ask the leadership of the church to consider so-and-so, this person or that person, or here's a list of three. Consider them to be deacons. We, we okay? So that's the direction that we're going in because we want Hope Crossings to continue to grow. Our best days are yet to come. Our best days are yet to come. And why is that? God gave us the perfect example through Jesus Christ. You see, God chose a person to solve the greatest problem man has ever had, and that is sin. You know, you think of all the different ways that God could have provided salvation. I, I, I mean, there's the, the, the way is endless. I mean, you could just dream and imagine. He could have done it this way. He could have done it that way. He could have been made this type of announcement or that type of announcement. But what did he do? He sent a person, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. He was born in the fullness of time. God said, I want to, to show you that I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh. He is the person to solve the problem, the problem of sin, the problem of eternity. And he shows us this example, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin and your sin, the biggest problem we've ever faced or ever will. And the question I would have for you today, for everyone watching on Facebook, no matter whether this is today on Sunday or maybe you're watching this on Tuesday morning or Thursday night, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Is he integrated within your life? Have you invited him into your life to forgive you? because that is, makes the greatest difference in all the world. Jesus Christ, God's gift, human being, God and man came to earth to solve our problems, the greatest problem, the sin problem. And then when he solves the greatest problem, that sin problem, he pulls us together as a body. And you know what that does? That causes problems. Because when you solve one problem, you might create another one. And that's when we come together and we go, okay, how are we going to make this fit? And how are we going to make this work? How are we going to fit together in Christ? Because you're different than I am and I'm different than you. And you think differently and I think and I can and you can't and vice versa. He says, Christ pulls us together. 
May hope crossings never become one type of person. May we continue to be diversified. May we continue to be different and glory in our differences and bask in our differences and be so thankful for our differences because it is our differences that bring us the power of God working in every person within the body of Christ. When God is working in and through every person, then we all become stronger because the body is built up with that strength. But it comes first and foremost through a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we come before him and we say, God, my, my, my life, it's, I'm, I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I have no remedy for that sin. I have no forgiveness for the things that I've done wrong. And I recognize the fact that there is going to be an eternity. There is a life after this life. And you recognize you're not ready for it. You're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to die. We've talked about this over the last several months. There have been a, a very verbal example of people being very afraid to die. But you have to ask yourself the question, why? Why are people afraid to die? No, I don't want to die today. I bet you don't either. I want to live a long, healthy life and then die quickly. Just like you do. But when we become over so fearful about death, we have to ask ourselves the question, why are we ready to die? And I want to ask you that question, are you ready to die? Do you know that you know that you know if you were to die in this moment, you would go to heaven to be with God? Do you know that? Or are you going like, I don't know. I don't know where I'd go. Maybe, maybe I've done enough good things that, that I could make it into heaven. Maybe, I, maybe I'd, if, if God stacks them up, maybe, maybe my good deeds would outweigh my bad deeds. And I'd, I'd make, yeah, that's what I'm banking on. That's what I'm counting on. Can I share with you for just a moment? That's not going to work. It, it's not because I say it. It's not because I believe it. You also don't believe that. You don't believe that's going to work. You're banking on You might be hoping for it, but you don't believe that's going to work because you don't practice that. You don't live that way. You make an omelet with three eggs and one of them is rotten and bad. You going to eat that omelet? No. No. You smell the sour milk, you going to drink it? No. No, because a little bit affects everything. Everything. You see, Jesus does not invite people into heaven who are good. He invites people into heaven who have been redeemed. And so today you can be redeemed through Jesus Christ. They say, God, I've sinned. It makes no difference whether I think my good deeds would outweigh my bad deeds. Lord, I have sinned. Please forgive me. I accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the price he paid for me on the cross. And Lord, would you please forgive me? Come into my life. I want to live. I want to follow you. I don't even know how to follow you, but I'm going to follow you because, Lord, you're my Savior. That is the gift of God. God solving a man's problem with a man who paid the price for our sin on the cross. But then also three days later showed death cannot conquer me. I am the conqueror of death because he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. And he lives now in heaven and he's coming back again. And today 
he can become your savior. Today, he can become your savior. No matter who you are, no matter where you fit in this world, God loves you, and he demonstrated that through Jesus Christ. Will you accept him as your savior today?